0: Hey, Life Architects, Adam Carroll here with another episode of the Build a Bigger Life podcast. You know, you have those conversations with people where you really jive and you're like, I feel like we've known each other uh, from a different time and space. That's how I feel about this interview that we have today. You're listening to episode 161 of the Build a Bigger Life podcast. And today's guest is a man by the name of Mike Smirklo. He is an investor He is a, what he calls a part-time author. I think what he means is he wrote a book, but um, it's not like that's his primary source of income. In fact, he helps run a VC firm down in Austin, Texas. And this book is uh, called Mr. Monkey and Me. It is a not quite a memoir, Memoir book for entrepreneurs looking at some of those not-so-obvious tips to succeed. The cool part about the book and about Mike in general is I think he's had enough success in his life that now he's about giving back. And so none of the proceeds uh, from the book are going to himself. They are going to a scholarship uh, program that he has helped establish. So it's very cool. Uh, On the show today, Mike and I talk about mental toughness and specifically how to go about finding that as an entrepreneur. You'll hear about Mike's rise from working with Silicon Valley giants as a young uh, up-and-coming 20-something to eventually owning his own firm, buying it outright, and then eventually taking it public. I will say that Mike is super candid. Uh, He's very open about his flaws, about his blind spots, and uh, all of those have helped him adopt a very authentic way of being When dealing with himself and others, I think you'll appreciate his approach. We also chat up Mike's VC firm, which is called Next Coast Ventures, and also what they're investing in. So for all you budding entrepreneurs with a disruptive idea, jump on here because Mike's looking for ideas of uh, some disruptive ideas. If you've got disruptive ideas yourself that require a platform to teach other people, look no further than Kajabi. When we built the courses tied to masteryofmoney.com and buildabiggerlife.com, my operations director extraordinaire, Molly Rose, she built them on Kajabi and she built them really quickly, like within a week. And not a week goes by that we don't see new students and therefore revenue through that Kajabi portal. So if you like mailbox money and who doesn't, check out buildabiggerlife.com forward slash Kajabi, K-A-J-A-B-I for a free trial, and maybe some killer swag. I think once you get your first customer, they send you some cool stuff. I may or may not be wearing my Kajabi t-shirt today, in fact. The show is also sponsored by TheShredMethod.com. If you're looking for a way to blast away debt, to create massive amounts of freedom and flexibility, and to ultimately own more of your income, who wouldn't want to do that? Visit TheShredMethod.com and watch that Kickstarter training that's available there, right this very minute. If you are an individual or a couple who does not want to leave wealth generation to chance, if you would like to experience financial freedom and time freedom within the decade, not within 20 or 30 years, you got to check out the shred method. Utilizing this method is how I will get to spend the majority of the rest of my life sitting in coffee shops and listening to podcasts of people just like Mike Smirklow. Heck, I may just go listen to more Mike Smirklow podcasts right now at a coffee shop. By the way, here's the author of Mr. Monkey and Me and successful entrepreneur and investor, Mike Smirklow. Mike, welcome to the Build a Bigger Life podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. It's such an honor to have you, and I think that um, this particular interview is timely for a number of reasons, which we're going to get into in the show. Uh, but Mike, you know the question I ask all my guests first off. What's something you love about your life right now? Well, I know I know the question's coming is It's a great question. I think right now I'm
1: just, I feel immensely... I feel filled with gratitude because I've got a really good balance in my life. I'm doing some really interesting things in my job, helping entrepreneurs at Next Coast Ventures, um, I've been happily married for 16 years, and I got four amazing children, and I'm in good health. Uh, touch wood on all four of those. So I feel like uh, designing a life or building a bigger life, those four things are the most important things, and they all seem to be in reasonably good shape right now.
0: That's amazing. I think for some entrepreneurs, they they find it difficult To keep all of those plates spinning at the same time. So I'm curious, at some point in your life, were you that hard charging entrepreneur that didn't have time for anything else? I know early on in your, your uh, uh, finance days, you're talking about working 100 hour weeks, but uh, how much of that followed you into the entrepreneurial world? Yeah.
1: I don't, I don't, I want to try and keep this PG and not use bad words, but I was, a, <laughs> I,
0: I was a raging
1: asshole. <laughs> so sorry to be so uh, use such an explicit term, but no, when I look back and and now I joke, cause I, I, my day job is investing in entrepreneurs and coaching them. But early on when I was going at it, I, I used to have this phrase. I mean, I, I told my, the fee, first people who gave me capital, I would give the pitch and then I would look them in the eye and I'd say, I'm either going to make this happen or you can drag my dead body out of the office and I would pause. And I did that a couple of times. And only later, my investors actually said, we weren't sure you were joking. And I said, I I wasn't either, but I I was that there was one plate spinning early on. And, you know, it caused a lot of chaos in my life and, you know, a lot of disruption in relationships and things like that. So I had zero balance. And I think that's why I'm so happy now to have a much more um, full circle balanced life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, Do you think You know, there's a lot of authors out there who have said, in no uncertain terms, balance is bullshit. Is balance possible as an entrepreneur? Reasonably possible. I I think
1: that to do this right. And that's why I wrote this book is about just because I I didn't find anything about the mental aspect. And I think if you go into it and think, Hey, I'm going to be my own boss and that's going to be easy. That's an absolute 180 of how you should be thinking about it. So I think I really try and encourage our entrepreneurs to get out of the office, to get time to themselves, to find some sort of outlet, to stay mental health, to stay mentally healthy. Having said that, you ha- you're going to work a lot. It, it's just I think anybody who tells you anything else, uh, you know, I love Tim Ferriss and the Four Hour Work Week. I don't know any entrepreneur. Maybe there's some out there that are really good at their job that are working anything less than say a sixty hour work week. Right. I think it's just the reality.
0: Right. Or or they're using the old adage that you can work any forty hours you want. Yeah. Exactly. You know, or or exactly. sixty or eighty. You know. It's yeah, just not exactly. Nine to five. It's going to be from noon to ten or or four to two in the morning or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or all of the um, but. You made a comment on, uh, I believe it was an interview or maybe on a, a blog post that you wrote that the world needs entrepreneurs. And I couldn't agree more, but I want to hear your uh, description of that. Give me some context around that statement.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, just, I'm inspired every day by entrepreneurs. And I think when I think about the w- big problems facing the world, and it could be, let's, let's take a community to the world stage, the problems that we're facing it, and you think about who's going to solve it. And I love, you know, not charities do some great work. Governments, are you, do you want to leave a a vaccine for the pandemic to the government or are you going to have an enterprise go after it? Name the problem, and I would much rather bet on entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. The problem I see is we need more of them, we need more diversity in entrepreneurship, and we need more healthy. Entrepreneurs meaning mental healthy. So, so when the people when you do become successful, you don't have some of the nonsense that we've seen with, for example, some of the big Silicon Valley startups where yes, they were successful, but they had horrible cultures and really did some bad things. So yeah. more entrepreneurs, more diversity to solve the big problems and then mental health as a key aspect of entrepreneurship.
0: Yeah. Do you personally feel like given the success that you've had in that world, that this is your give back? to coach entrepreneurs, to bring them up, you know, to, to, uh, help them achieve balance.
1: Yeah. I mean, I thought when I, so I'd run this company for a long time. Um, we took it public. I was running it for, I ran for three and a half years of public company CEO and woke up one day and there was, we had 3000 employees. Uh, we had just had our fourth child. I was exhausted and way underqualified to do the job. And so I moved to chairman and I thought long and hard, I took about six to nine months off and I thought I could go back and operate. I was still reasonably young. Um, but I didn't feel like a, I had the fire in my belly to do it again. Cause I knew how hard it was, but B I just felt like whether call it a calling, I just felt like I could go and share some of this wisdom, also some capital to help the next generation of entrepreneurship. So whether yeah. it reached the calling stage or not, it's just something I'm passionate about. And again, it ties together what I love to do with a belief that this is how the world is going to improve. Yeah.
0: Tell, uh, let's talk a little bit about Mr. Monkey and me. The book, the, the the book that's coming out here, I'm, or has come out. It's been published, yeah. It is, yeah. It's available now on what? Amazon. Yeah. How, how? What was the genesis of this? Well, so a
1: couple things. One, um, when I was an entrepreneur, I always thought I had. I suffered for, from all of these challenges, plagued with fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Plagued with imposter syndrome, and I kept looking around at all the other entrepreneurs. I'm like, Am I the only one? Am I the only one? Because everyone else seems to be, from a public face, seems to be putting on the I've got this figured out. And I was going home most nights going, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Right. Um, And so I had this voice in my head and I eventually personified it. It was a way for me to just address it. I used to call it the inner voice. And then finally I just made it this big hairy beast, a monkey and said, all right, that's the voice. And the first step was addressing it. And I, it, as I progress forward, um, there's a lot of th- threads I can go down. One, the voice didn't go away, no matter how much success I had. Yeah. But two, I started to look at the content and became frustrated. I've always enjoyed writing about the mental aspect of entrepreneurship. And what I found was a pretty wide void. I found this on one end, there's the business plan and kind of tactical ways to start a business, which are really helpful. And at the other end is all this kind of BS. I call it like eating Dorito type blogs. You know, what does Elon Musk do before breakfast? Oh, who gives a shit? Elon Musk is the whatever, the wealthiest man in the world. So for you and I starting out as an entrepreneur, the fact that he gets up at 4 a.m. and meditates and takes an ice cold bath and then eats blueberries really doesn't have anything to do with the journey. So the void in the middle I found was just no content around, again, this mental aspect. Yes, Um, And I took that, I wanted to share some of my stories. It's certainly not a memoir, mostly about things I did wrong, but take that and share that. And then also trying to give some very specific actions or action steps that you can take to develop mental toughness.
0: I I love the blog post you did about uh, what Jeff Bezos is six laws of success or something like that. <laughs> and you're like, this dude is the richest man or second richest man now on the planet. Yeah, Do you really think the six things he does are going to help you in any way, shape or form?
1: Yeah, exactly. And then my joke about the Doritos is because if you've ever been really hungry and you're just, you know, you don't have that much time and you run into my, my biggest weakness is uh, cool ranch Doritos. I'm embarrassed to admit, but I run in, I'm starving. I eat, you know, five handfuls. And then I wake up and my, I've got, you know, blue fake cheese on my fingers and my beard and I'm still hungry and I feel disgusting. Um, at least that's my personal admission. And I kind of feel like those blogs you feel the same way because you read them and you're like, well, I'm not even close to the wealthiest man in the world. I don't get up at 4 a.m. and I don't wear all black T-shirts every day. Right. It just doesn't help. So that's my, that's my equivalent to, to the bag of Doritos.
0: There is some connection there to probably feeding the beast. Like if you really want to feed Mr. Monkey, that that's how you do it. Right. Exactly. And then eat Doritos and feel horrible about yourself. Yeah,
1: Exactly. And then, and put off all the key action steps that you should have taken to get really going after it.
0: You, um, you mentioned that there are non-obvious things in the book. You know, there's a lot of books out there about the how-to and all of that, but this is, as you, uh, lovingly referred to it as TOS the other shit.
1: Yeah. What, what I really tried to do, and, and I was fortunate to have a great editor to help me. I, I wrote it myself, but I had an editor and I said, the last thing I want to do is write another, you know, here, you know, bought business, sold it, made lots of money. Look how great I am. Yeah. I also am in honor. Uh, I, have, I have complete respect for some really great business books. If you want to read a great business book about long three, go read shoe dog by Phil Knight. One of my favorites. Yeah. 35 years of running a business, get you a perspective of how hard it is, I really wanted to go right to the, the stuff between your ears. And, and that's the non-obvious. Every day in my job at Next Coast Ventures, I could see two exact business plans. Same idea, same access to capital, same team. One will go on to be wildly successful and one won't. And I began to spend time with my business partner at Next Coast and we said, it's something about the mental aspect the willingness to eat glass, as we call it. I think that all things being equal is the differentiator. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to try and provide a blueprint for current or potential entrepreneurs to to try and grab some of that and uh, embrace it.
0: Yeah. Is eating glass, is that is that another way of saying mental toughness? Is it-
1: yeah, we have this term at Next Coast which we, we came up with because it's such a horrific idea and we, we don't want it to be intimidating. But when you and we've all been entrepreneurs at our firm and when you really think about what it takes, I think the other thing these blog posts do is they tend to they tend to minimize it or I call it the shark tank effect. Yep. I came up with an idea. I went on TV, five people gave me a thumbs up and I sailed off and, you know, went to retirement. That just doesn't happen.
0: Wait, are you, that's not how
1: it works. <laughs> exactly. It is, it is how it works. And then you just, you know, you, you go retire and go live on an island. Right. Um, yeah. You never see like that, the episode after shark tank where they actually have to go uh, build the business, but the glass eater concept was the one you know, 180 of that. Which is you really to be successful. It is mental toughness. It is persistence. It's the willingness. And we always emphasize within ethical and legal boundaries, but the willingness to do all the things required to get a business off the
0: ground. It's akin to eating glass. Interesting. Um, Talk about the shape, uh, the shape acronym. Yeah. So the shape acronym, what, what, what I
1: tried to do is sit back and say, okay, I was able to work with two legendary entrepreneurs, Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz, probably the, you know, probably the greatest entrepreneurs in recent memory in Silicon Valley. I was there early days, saw a company there, ran my own company for 13 years, and now I've invested in over 50 different entrepreneurs. And what I tried to do is elevate up and say, what are the five attributes that I see consistently for success? Um, and some of which I did some, of which I didn't. So the shape Ackerman acronym stands acronyms I'm in trouble with that word. Say uh, self-awareness, help uh, authenticity, persistence, and expectations. And it's not exactly Maslow's hierarchy needs, but it, it kind of builds upon itself. Yeah. And it really, I think
0: is the best way to, that I've seen to try and develop some of this mental toughness. Yeah. I love that. Uh, the, uh, so I've been doing my own thing, if you will, since about 2004 and, uh, I've had a number of different businesses. I, I truly believe in failing forward and, you know, fail fast, fail often. One of my former business partners said, you know, it's not that we're all that successful. We just failed twice as often as everybody else. Yeah, I love Um, it. and, and, and learn from that. I think the self-awareness of that piece of being willing to, uh, you know, take a calculated risk. I also believe in there's a difference between that and being risky, yep. but taking calculated risk and knowing my personal appetite for that. Is that what you mean by self-awareness or is it, is it more than that? I think that's certainly part of it, um, I, I tend to take a little bit broader definition.
1: And what I mean by is, is certainly there's understanding yourself, understanding, I, I really love the way you said that about risk, because that is a critical aspect of it. But then there's an element that says, what are you good at? What are you not good at? And not what you think you're good at. Very different, right? No. It's, it's the old uh, ask 100 people if they're a good driver and they all you know, raise their hand and say, yes, I am. But we still have accidents on the road. So it's, it's what are you good at? What are you not good at? What do you like to do? What do you not like to do? Starting to develop that as a foundation, I think is really important. And actually at Nexus, we think it's the number one determinant for entrepreneurial success to start with. Do you recognize where you're good, where you're not good? Do you recognize areas of weakness or perhaps uh, blind spots? Mm-hmm. That, that kind of, for me, is all encompassing on self-awareness and then leads to getting help and authenticity and persistence and goes from there. Yep.
0: Um, on, the, on the help side, I know in the book, you, you talk about uh, mentors that you've had along the way. I assume that's what help means. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, I'll tell you, uh, I think a funny story.
1: So when I was early on, I'd been running the company for four or five years. The business was growing really well. I had one problem. I couldn't hire a head of sales. In fact, I had my first head of sales. I hired a raging coke addict. I didn't know he was a raging coke addict at the time, but I will tell you, if there's one business advice you take away from this podcast, don't hire coke addicts. They, they're, they're a lot of fun, full of energy. I bet they tend, they tend not to show up at work and they're not really reliable, but it's a, it's a story in the book, but it really was my first really dumb mistake of a hundred. But, I, but I, that guy I fired, then we looked for three other ones and I fired him and I just couldn't figure out how to hire for this role. Mm-hmm. So I was fortunate to have access to a legendary uh, Silicon Valley icon and great coach, a guy named Bill Campbell, who's no longer with us. There was a book written about him called A Trillion Dollar Coach. He was the coach to uh, CEO of Apple, Steve Jobs, the Google founders, a whole list of great folks. So I drove down one night uh, to meet him in his bar, the bar he co-owned in Palo Alto called The Old Pro. And I show up and you would get like 30 minutes with Bill. He just would literally like a line. Here's your 30 minutes. Wonderful human. Gruff old guy. Used to coach football at Columbia. So I sit down, grab a beer. And he's like, Smirklo, you look like shit. I'm like literally first, second in. I'm like, well, actually, I, I feel like shit. Um, and he said, what's going on? And I, I quickly explained to him my inability to hire for this position. And he was an old, he had been a football coach at Columbia, as I mentioned. So he, full of explicatives, but he said, well, finally, he said, who's your coach? So I don't, I don't have a coach. I don't have time for a coach. What are you talking about? I'm trying to run a company. I can't, if I don't hire the next set head of sales, I'm going to get fired by my board. What are you talking about? And he said, it so simply, he said, listen, Steve jobs has a coach. Tiger woods has a coach. Yeah. Why the heck wouldn't Mike Smirklow? No offense, have a coach. And it really just like any good advice that's simple and you go, Holy cow. And from that point on, I then developed really started to put part of my time to developing mentors that could help me with my business, and I also hired a professional coach. Yeah. And for me, early on in my ten- tenure as an entrepreneur, that had a huge impact and positive direction on both my career and the business. I bet.
0: You know, you know how uh, if you hear a book or you hear someone's name multiple times in the same 24, 48 hour period, it's like, oh, I yeah. gotta go read that book. Someone just texted me that picture last night. Yeah. Said, have <laughs> yeah. you read this book? And I'm holding up Trillion Dollar Coach as an image. Um, so clearly that's one I need to go pick up right away. Yeah. It's a great read and, and just, he was a wonderful human and you get to see by, by
1: being a coach and putting himself out there, he wasn't a, you know, paid for coach, just how many lives he's in, he impacted. It was really amazing. Yeah. Very cool. Uh,
0: talk a little bit about authenticity.
1: Yeah. So then what I found is, and I found it with leaders is so by being self-aware, that tells you where you need to get help. In my case, I need to get some help on hiring ahead of sales and then lots of other ways. Uh, Then I, I, as I started to go further in my career, what I really found, whether it be imposter syndrome, I found myself trying to imitate two people that had been in my life earlier on. And I talk about stories in the book. One had been this super alpha male, my vision when I was a kid, Poor kid, didn't have any great role models. I thought, that's what you do. You're big, strong, tough. And a guy named Greg Reyes, I talk about in the book, had been a mentor to me. And so a lot of times I tried to imitate him. Um, And other times I'd worked with Ben Horowitz, who was this very soft-spoken, thoughtful, non-power, like didn't emote his power, if you will, but really, really decisive and, and great communicator. So I'd find myself in meetings trying to figure out which one I wanted to be. And there was one critical moment in the book I talk about where we had this great employee, but he was a jack of all trades and master of none. He was kind of a cultural icon. It was kind of a mascot for the company, but we couldn't find a spot for him. Mm. And I'm sitting in this meeting and I'll never forget it. I'm sitting there going, uh, our HR person says, hey, we need to eliminate um, this individual. And I tell the story in the book, my entire executive team looks at me and says, well, and we can't fire him. Like he he's, he's an icon. Like he's the one that everyone loves. And you know, and, and here's my friend, I'll bring this up for visual. Cause we're on YouTube. Like Mr. Monkey, I bring this thing. He's like, he's screaming at me. He's like, you fire him, like be the alpha male, be that big tough guy and fire yeah. him. And then I'm thinking of what Ben would do. And Ben would just have like some brilliant thing to say. And then finally said, well, what does Mike Smirklow think? And it, it, as silly as it sounds it's the first time I just, found my authentic voice yeah. and, and, and actually my authentic voice, which was odd. What I did was I turned my team and said, I don't know what to do. And then, you know, then the monkey's like, what did you just say? Did you just say you don't How know what to you do? Be vulnerable. What? What? Yeah. yeah. You can be vulnerable. Um, and it really pushed me then further to say, okay, that's something I have to start to embrace embracing vulnerability. I'm somewhere between these two people. And I think for most leaders, and there's great books on authenticity, but just the ability to be yourself, to stay true to what you want and not get caught up in what other things you, people think you should be or some other
0: hero worshiping uh, that I certainly fell victim to. You've mentioned a couple times putting yourself in the third person. And it's yeah. really interesting. I just read this uh, earlier this week. It said if you want to get out of your own way and get out of your head, um, if there's you know the critical voice, the inner voice, if it's um, uh, questioning the behavior or even an emotion, what you're feeling, that yeah. one of the best ways to do that is to say, why is Adam feeling this way? Why is insert your name feeling this way?
1: I think and, I read that article. It was, was it a, I just read something similar to that. And you by personifying and using your own voice in
0: your yeah. head. Yes, I read that. It was a great article. It was great. And I, for this, this whole week, I, you know, if I feel some emotion, I'm like, why is Adam feeling this way? And it's a way different approach. I don't know if it's because you get above yourself and that's yeah. the hardest part is, is to do that. But I love this idea of authenticity. And being able to say, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, the whole book, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I love your podcast because it, it took me. And again, I'm not trying, I didn't grow up in a great situation. A lot of people, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, I didn't have the role models I would have loved to have. And the voice inside my head, and that's why the star of the book is really the monkey, was giving me all of these things that were fear, uncertainty, and doubt, you can't do it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And that whole idea, and if people are thinking about building a better life, I found by personifying it, or to your example, using a name, it's really about getting inside your own head and understanding what you're hearing, what those voices are, and what they aren't. Mm-hmm. And in my case, realizing it was never going to go away. So how could I addre- address it? And I, I joke like turn it into a friend of me. It's never going to be your best friend, right? At least understanding that a everyone has them. has these voices being, they never go away. So how can you turn them into your advantage and help it build you build a better life versus being destructive?
0: Yeah. How much of that came from your upbringing? I mean, was this part of your personality of who am I to to be running a major company? And I mean, you, you mentioned imposter syndrome a little bit. How much of that do you think comes from us, our programming as kids and what we grew up hearing?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I tell some stories in the book about, you know, and we'll go into an ad, but yeah, just funny stories about relatives that I had and, and they were, it was all blue collar. A lot of the, I used to joke, my family would see someone who had achieved something of wealth or means and say, well, it must be nice. That was the whole month. Yeah. It must, be nice. must be nice. It's never going to happen to us, but it must be nice. My grandmother uh, had this famous saying she would say when you'd I'd say, well, I, I want some ice cream and she'd say, well, people in hell want ice water. I think about that one. I am just think people, you know, your grandma saying that when you're nine years old, it really starts, you start to understand what I address. And I think a lot of people have it. You have that, you have those voices. Um, and I think it really did impact me. I had to work really hard, certainly in college and beyond self-help tapes and all this other stuff to try yeah. and reprogram those voices to say, yeah, I can do this. And there is opportunity for me. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be nice. I can actually
0: go achieve it myself, but took a lot of work, a lot of therapy. I, you know that's that's so funny. I heard that a lot. Oh yeah, well, that would be nice to have yeah. to have that car, that boat, that house, whatever. Um, how about persistence? This one kind of is a, a you know it's it's pretty self explanatory. I think business takes persistence. I think this last year uh, was it like brought it to the forefront, right? That everyone has to remain persistent in whatever they do. And, uh, so I'm curious, how do you write about it? And, and more importantly, how you do coach do it?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I think, I think it's, it's always hard to be an entrepreneur. I think 2020 might've been the hardest year ever to be an entrepreneur, right? I mean, you had, you had the normal things going on with being entrepreneur hard, all that stuff. And then you had global pandemic, you had to suddenly had remote workers and then throw in, uh social justice and causes being brought to the forefront in a very good way, good for society, but brought into the business community. So it was a really hard year. And for me, persistence, it's kind of one of those obvious, yes, of course, but I think it's really about understanding what you're getting into and finding a way to stay mental healthy, mentally healthy. And what I talk about there is rather than just saying, keep after it. No, no, no. In my case, I learned to meditate later in life. I wish I would have done it as a CEO. Um, having outlets and for me, physical activity, working out, like the days I get up and meditate and work out are radically different than the days I don't. Yeah. So starting to build into your life, certainly as an entrepreneur patterns that are going to keep you at the top of your game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a gazillion books have written about that as well, but whatever works for you and what works for Adam is probably gonna be different for Mike, but knowing yourself and going, all right, if I don't work out and I don't find time to meditate, I'm probably going to be cranky, grumpy, go to my, and I, you know, I'm an Enneagram aide. If you've studied the Enneagrams so and knowing, oh, yeah. you know, what my upper limits are and lower limits, all of those come into a mindset that I think allows for persistence, Yeah, which is different than saying, Hey, just keep after it. Be persistent. Right. You know? didn't really help me. How do I get there?
0: So as an eight, one of the things I know about you is that under stress, you might become punitive. So that could be why you were a raging asshole when you were- <laughs> Early
1: on, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I started off the book by just like there's a short book. I just apologize to all the people who work for me. That's, all That's I hilarious. But That's yeah, hilarious. but but yeah, I mean, under and the enneagram is one of the great tools I call out in the self part. Yes, because it's a wonderful tool, it and really I got is. I got coached on it when I was a CEO. Yeah. And yes, under stress, I go I go to punitive, I go to distrust, and I tend to go to anger. Yeah, and my coach used to say, you know, the bull in the china shop doesn't know he's in the china shop you just right. knocking shit over and that was certainly me and you know if i got stressed out walking to a meeting going off yelling at people embarrassingly but that's what i did and so after a while you start to go okay i'm feeling stressed calm down breathe
0: etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah where does this pattern lead me if i follow this thing yeah, yeah. You nowhere are good yeah right right i'm a seven uh i'm married to a one so she and i are kind of complementary wings when she's at her best she's a seven when i'm at my best i'm at a one um, but it 's really frustrating when you know some of those things, yeah you 're like, God me in a seven, I write shiny object syndrome why is that why am I getting pulled off by this you know YouTube video or whatever yeah yeah so, well my wife,
1: my wife 's a four, and we 've done coaching on this uh for marriage and fours are envy uh eights get stuff done, so early on in our marriage, you know. Oh, it would be great. Okay, I'll go get it for you. And it's taken us, we've been, you know, 16 years in, we're like, okay, here's the pattern. <laughs> you know, you're dreaming of that. And, uh, I'm going to go get it for you because that's what yeah. I do. Yes. Yeah. It's a really helpful tool. I'd recommend it to anybody. If you want to think about building a bigger life, the Enneagram is a wonderful,
0: wonderful tool. Gosh, no question. Um, yeah, I've always been a fan of like "to thine own self be true" and know thyself. That these these adages that we 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 kind of throw them up on a a wall in vinyl and we try and live our lives by that. But the work is really digging into it and going, "Why did I react that? Why why did Adam react that way? Right? Why did yeah. Mike go off on this vendor when he really shouldn't have?" Yeah. Um, last is expectations, and this this is so timely, Mike because I'm about to launch a solo cast about expectations. Oh, nice. And the fact that I I feel like most people, when they have an emotional reaction to something, it's because they had an expectation that was not clearly articulated or, or maybe it was unrealistic. Yep. And, and uh, so they're, they're emotionally reacting to whatever that expectation was. And I think we all need to check our expectations, uh, especially in light of what's happened in the last 12 to 14 months. But I'm, I'm curious, your take on this. Yeah. I, I, t- the, my expectations to start off, I, I, I love quotes, but Mike
1: Tyson, it's weird to quote Mike Tyson, but said, you know, <laughs> everyone has a plan until the they get punched in. Mike, yeah, the great Mike philosopher Mike Tyson. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, hitting, I'm hitting all the grades, aren't I? I I've got a, a mask for a monkey and I'm talking about Mike Tyson. So you're like, how did this guy get <laughs> into my show? <laughs> but, you know, but Mike Tyson uh, said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And I think, um, you know, certainly 2020 was like a couple of punches in the mouth for, for all of us. But I, I do think expectations is, when, especially when it relates to entrepreneurship, is just understanding. Like, A, when you get started, know that it's going to be hard. So, so don't fool yourself there. But second, and secondly on expectations is make sure you're excited about the idea. It doesn't have to be a huge idea. I see so many entrepreneurs not getting off the proverbial couch because they think their idea isn't big enough. And I always say, like, hey, Howard Schultz didn't think Starbucks was gonna be on every corner. Right. He wanted to create a really interesting cafe experience he had in Italy. And Mark Zuckerberg started a website to meet girls at Harvard, and that was Facebook. So first of all, no, it's gonna be hard, but two, you don't have to have the it doesn't have to be the biggest idea in the world. But it has to be something that's important to you. Yeah. Because you're gonna spend eighty hours a week for the next X years. So hopefully you're passionate about it. And then, as you move through the journey, for me, I had this—I I had this one day where I thought, "Gosh, if we get to fifty million in revenue, uh, which is a big goal, then everything's going to work. I won't have to worry about all these things." So, working and working and working, and finally, a couple of years in, we got there. And I, so shockingly, Adam, I still had a bunch of problems. And one of my I, board members—I um, don't think he knew it was a CCR song—but he said, "Hey, Mike, someday never comes." Um, and I go, "What do you mean?" He's like. You're, you're never going to have a perfect day. And so the sooner that you can get over that idea and reset your expectations, the better off you'll be. Um, and then, you know, sometimes this dream ends, um, for me, it ended in unceremoniously, uh, not the way I wanted it to, but just having expectations about the whole journey is, is what it's all about for me. Yeah. Um, you ended up selling your business. Uh well, we took it public uh 2011. I ran it as a public company CEO for three and a half years. Um, and then I moved to chairman um because my lead independent walked in and said, I think we're done. Uh meaning I think Mike, you're done. Yeah, <laughs> and I said, yeah. uh you're still a wonderful friend and mentor, uh, Bruce Donnelly one of the founders of Benchmark. And I talked about it in the book. And I said, Bruce, you're right. And so, that was my removal as a as a public company CEO, which Ooh. is also... So, the book is not a fairy tale ending, I ride off in the sunset. My last chapter as a operator was, I got fired. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Um, I stayed on as chairman for a couple of years, and then I went off to start Next Coast Ventures. Cool.
0: Do, do, are you a fatalistic guy, Mike?
1: Define fatalistic. I mean, I think I understand the term, but what do you mean? Do I, pessimistic or what do you mean?
0: No, more like you know hey that was fate like that was that was oh, the hand fate, yeah. that i was dealt and and um and it's fine because this this was actually a door closing that was supposed to close at the right time and you know, sometimes I think we know we know that, and sometimes we don't. I'm just curious your take.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I'd probably say that now. At the time, I think I went home and you know drank too much whiskey and smashed a few plates to be be exact. Um, so yeah, in retrospect. But no, I really do. I mean, I, I tend to believe in life that things happen for a reason, and and I do really believe as an optimist when doors shut, uh, new doors open. But at the time it was just a, a really uh, a gut wrenching kind of humiliating moment. But it was the right decision and i i still you know someone who does that who who removes you i'm still very close with him because i had told him i was exhausted i was not showing up the leaders i wanted to be and the reason i got into entrepreneurship is i wanted to build a culture i wanted to create i wanted to have a team right and 13 years in uh, it had been a very great run it it made uh, economic great economic success for myself and I, I became entitled, and I wasn't doing the things I should have. In retrospect, so it was the right decision, but you know, there's nothing. It was like it's like going to a movie for two and a half hours, and you you love it until the last four minutes. That's kind of my entrepreneurial career. What I love, I, I loved everything except for the ending. That is a great
0: <laughs> metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a great metaphor. Um, you know, you had mentioned earlier that 2020 was was definitely a year where mental toughness was required. And it was a tough go for a lot of entrepreneurs. And I think there were some folks who uh, probably bailed on their entrepreneurial dream. And I'm curious, what's your message to them and those that have been weathering the storm in terms of what's to come?
1: Well, uh, I have got. I mean, I'm very optimistic about the future, uh, generally and specifically as it relates to getting past this pandemic. Um, I, I would say to the folks that bailed, I'd say, don't beat yourself up. You got, you got the sucker punch of all sucker punches. Like no one could have predicted it. And I talk about, you know, imagine you started 2020 with a great travel related business and then a global pandemic comes, right? That happens. When I was starting off as an entrepreneur going to raise capital nine 11 happened. Okay. Time to reset expectations. Um, So I I think my first advice or or piece of wisdom, if it is that to people did bail is like, don't beat yourself up. It was totally unexpected and try and dust yourself off and get back at it. And I would say for those that are still after it, um, congratulations, you you know, it's, it's kind of, you can make it through 2020 as as a small or or bootstrapper, whatever your capital source is, congratulations. Cause you got through what I think is going to be the toughest year, I hope. Yeah. And I, I do believe we're heading into a really interesting potential area of prosperity for the next couple of years. And hopefully that's great for entrepreneurship.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Um, I've talked about this on the show that we went through punctuated equilibrium, the whole yeah. idea of this, you know, it's the sudden change we all had to adapt. But generally on either side of punctuated equilibrium are these long static periods. Yep. And uh, that is my hope as well, that that we, we get through this and on the other side of 2021, ostensibly, that um, there's smooth waters and you know, it's a, it's an upward trajectory for most companies.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, the one thing I would say is I think those that the other thing to to think about for 2020, the faster you got through, I saw a lot of people going when we get back to normal. And I've been thinking a lot about, I don't know what normal is going to look like, but I think the faster you can get past the idea that we're going to get back to whatever normal was, that's the first step. But two, there's also been some really exciting trends that I think would have taken 10 years. Yeah. Accelerated. And when I think about opportunities for entrepreneurship, I would be thinking about some of those trends that are going to last, I, you know I think we're going're we're, we're going to go back to sporting events we're going to go back to concerts we're going to go back to some form of in work, maybe not completely the way it is, but there's some other trends that have been that were going to happen, and they just got pushed forward dramatically yep. and that's where I think there's some real opportunity for entrepreneurs yeah,
0: totally agree, and, and boy, what I wouldn't give for a high priced beer right now at a concert exactly exactly oh gosh. yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, that might be. <laughs> from beer prices at sporting events and concerts might be like thirty bucks, and we're like, I don't care. Here it I is. I'm here live with other people, but I, you know, hopefully the vaccines rolling out as we sit here in February, 2021, um, I, I'm, I'm optimistic and I think we could have a, a several great years of, and I just think consumers are ready to spend. I mean, that's the other thing we've been all sitting in our proverbial basements, saving money. Um, I think we're going to have a great opportunity to go out and and really celebrate and do the things that we've all been missing so
0: much. Agreed. Um, I want to pivot really quick in the last couple of minutes here, Mike, and ask about next coast ventures. Um, I I looked through the website. I saw some of the companies that you're funding and supporting. Uh, It looks like there's a lot of fintech out there, which I'm excited about.
1: Yep. Yeah. So Nexos Ventures, we're a venture capital firm in Austin, Texas. We've raised almost a quarter billion dollars, backed 50 different companies, uh, primarily in the central part of the United States, um, where you and I reside, Um, and, and, and headquartered in Austin, Texas. We really look for thematic big themes. We spend our time thinking about the five or six themes. Right now we're focused on changing face of retail, future of work, future of software. Also thinking about how millennials and digital natives change a bunch of old behaviors yeah. uh, and even healthcare hacking. So a lot of those trends, we've set those themes out pre-COVID. And fortunately for us, not to make light of the pandemic, but have been accelerated. Uh, and most importantly, we look for amazing entrepreneurs that are looking to build disruptive businesses. That's what makes our job kind of awesome. We could be the That's smart, you know, come with all this great stuff. But at the end of the day, we got to find amazing entrepreneurs that are, that run through walls to build big, great businesses.
0: Yeah. What, uh, if you could, you know, wave a magic wand over the next 12 to 24 months and you could eliminate one or two barriers that entrepreneurs have, what are they?
1: Uh, you know, at the risk of sounding trite, I do think it's between their ears. I think anybody's listening out here. I mean, you're, if you're listening, you got a kid who I didn't have any role models. I didn't have, wasn't educated and had no money. Right. And I joke, I'm not the smartest guy. I worked really hard, but if I can do it, so can you. So my biggest piece of advice, if I could wave one wand and certainly people, I, I do think this voice in the head, uh, I say all this as a, as a white male, tall white male who grew up in the seventies, I'm a privileged guy, right? So I think when I think about diversity or getting people mental aspect, it's like, I would wave away a ment- a wand and say, you can do it. You can do it. Think about your best resources and how you can move forward. I don't want to make light of anything. Cause I did certainly have, even with my own background, I'm still a tall white guy. I've grown up in the United States. I had a lot of things going for me, yeah. but that would be what
0: I would change. Yeah, cool. I love that idea of mindset, Um, mental toughness, the entrepreneurial mindset. The book is called Mr. Monkey and Me. Um, Your comment just then, Mike, reminded me, I had a a gentleman that I worked for years and years ago. I sold books door to door in college for the Southwestern Publishing Company. And uh, they used to say, you know, you're going to tell yourself, Mr. Mediocrity will tell you in your ear, I can't do this. I need to go home. Oh, you nice. And, and he would say, this sucks. You suck. Let's go home. That's what Mr. Mediocrity's I love core, it. core message was. But he, they also said, if you work hard and you persevere, you can have bad breath, be and be ugly and still make a lot of money doing this business. So,
1: <laughs> I, think I, I think I'm living proof of that, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> there you
0: go, man. There
1: you go. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I, one thing I would be remiss if I didn't say all the proceeds of the book go to charity. I'm not making a nickel off this. Uh, my wife and I set up a scholarship for diverse and underrepresented uh, students who are interested in entrepreneurship. That's where all the proceeds go. So if anyone does buy the book, know that your, your, your money is going to, to help that scholarship what an awesome
0: service offering. Uh, if, if people want to find out more about you, Mike, where do they go? Yeah, I've got, uh,
1: under my name, Mike Smirklow, which is, uh, easy, is not the easiest name, but S M E R K L O. I've got a website. It's got a free entrepreneurial quiz test to help you think about the mental aspect. It's got some co- content around the very things we've been talking about and a free chapter of the book. So that's all there at Mike Smirklow.com. I'm also on all the social with that handle, Mike Smirklow.
0: Love it. Uh, The website is great. I've consumed a bunch of your blogs and it's very, very thought provoking material. So Mike, I appreciate your time. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks Adam.
1: I really appreciate it and keep up, keep doing what you're doing. It's really, it's really great content.
0: Thank you, man. Appreciate it.